I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Tommy Moore! Robbie Robbie Weekly. Little reverse pass, and Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly brought to you by Volkswagen, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby, Gavin Casey here in studio and I am joined by the riding pride of County Waterford, Ireland, Mr Murray Kinsella, Harry Murray. I'm fantastic, how are you? Uh, excellent, thank you very much and we're also delighted to be joined by the biggest man ever to set foot in this studio, Bernard Jackman. How are you Bernard? <laughs> very good, thank you. Nice welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up on today's show, we'll be looking briefly back at uh, the Italy game at the weekend. We have got a lengthy discussion on the way. Uh, we're going to put together uh, the Irish squad's depth chart and make predictions as to what Joe Schmidt might do with the final squad for the World Cup, but also get the opinions of the two lads on what they would do if they were in his shoes. Uh, we've got an interview with Peter Romani as well and a little bit of uh, a surprise towards the end of the show when Murray and I will generate some hashtag content. <laughs> uh, we'll kick off, though, looking back on that Italy game, gents, and we won't spend too much time on it, I don't think. But uh, just give us your overall impression, firstly, Murray. Um, the panel on RTE were fairly critical, particularly of John Klein, actually. Uh, but I saw when you were tweeting about Klein in particular, you were quite impressed by his performance. Yeah, I thought he did pretty well for his debut. I thought he did probably exactly what he was asked to do. Um, quite aggressive in the tackle, uh, carried around the corner pretty well a couple of times, even before one of the tries, made a good gain line carry um, and he hit rocks. That's what his big thing to do is. Uh, he loves smashing rocks and he did it particularly well. He also scrummaged well. I know that's kind of a hipster thing in rugby at the moment, tight head locks and everyone talking about that part of the game, but it is and always has been an important aspect of it that has probably been underrated on the outside of the kind of rugby bubble. Uh, he did that particularly well, involved in a mall try as well. I know they conceded uh, a good bit of ground before the Italian try for from, from the defensive mall, so he would have been disappointed with that, but it is a collective thing as well. So yeah, all in all, I th- think he did pretty well. Uh, generally, the game was a, a very mixed bag. I thought the first half was... Um, encouraging in terms of the kicking game we saw a different exit strategy kicking off 10 rather than 9 the, the scrum halves didn't kick once in the game and there was some nice kicking further up the pitch that kind of faded out a little bit in the middle third of the game but Jack Hardy came on after that unfortunate injury for Joey Carberry and kicked into into touch well a couple of times Carberry was excellent I thought he was really enjoyable to watch um, and added a lot of creative uh, edges to it so that's a real shame that he's picked up the injury a couple other guys like Chris Farrell and Conway did well but it definitely petered out and it was a little bit disappointing in the second half certainly that that bite wasn't there especially when there are a lot of guys playing for for spots on the plane Yeah Bernard did it go about the way you predicted it would go on this podcast last week kind of stop start error strewn and not mightily emphatic and yet the job was done Yeah it did it probably um, we didn't really see any real change attacking wise bar what Murray said was that you know um, willingness to go for those attacking kicks you know I think the exit strategy is one of of three or four we'll see during the course of these warm up games you know potentially the next game we'll kick just off nine um, you know it was really I suppose impressive by Carberry like we were kicking out of our 22 contestables onto Andrew Conway's head they were landing in the 5 metre challenge so you get you overcook that it's a line out for them just aside your 22 so it's very risky and, and then Conway in fairness he nearly won all those high ball um, uh, opportunities so he had, a, he had a game where he really laid down a, a positive marker um, I think defensive mall that's something that comes you know, it's not something that teams focus a huge amount in preseason. They'll fix that. Um, a little bit slow to reset in the blind side for that first Italian try. I just thought the second half when Italy played with two first receivers, um, with Canna and McKinley, they managed to keep possession for ages and um, weren't really going anywhere. Lacked that kind of X factor player to dominate us. But uh, you know, we didn't ever look at getting the ball back off him. Bar when Ty Byrne was, you know, he got two mm-hmm. two poaches. And um, that was a big impact from him, I think. You know, he's someone on the bubble in terms of making it to Japan. Uh, so he showed what he can do there. But yeah, it was pretty dour, which it was always going to be. Mm. I think we'll, the next game will be a, a real step up. You certainly watched that England-Wales game on the Sunday and it was considerably better quality and, wow, the physicality was a notable step up it was pretty impressive stuff from England particularly in that first 20 minutes when they have that kind of purple patch they're 
pretty much unstoppable with that physicality. You look at them in South Africa, those looked like the two most powerful teams and that was definitely a better test match. It felt like more like a test match than Ireland's game. So I'm looking forward to getting into that England match and then those two Wales games. Yeah, England looks mightily impressive Bernard didn't they yeah it's like going back to when they when they beat us in round one I mean uh, I think that would have sent a real shockwave to the Irish, Irish team because they're just so impressive and so dominant when they get on the front foot um, I think England are, are dark horse and I think I like the way Eddie Jones named the squad early um, I just think it gives those 31 players bit of security lets him manipulate the friendlies as he wants doesn't mean he has to play all 31 um, guys will still want to come in and try and you know make a name for themselves or, or be part of the, the standby players but it means he doesn't have to waste time giving players an opportunity that he knows aren't in his 31 so I think he can he can cut it up it also kind of shows real confidence in, in that group um, and I'd say they're not in a, I'd say they're in a pretty good place to be honest I think um, Eddie's always spoke about how the World Cup was, was the destiny of this team and now he's got you know four or five weeks to finish off the prep, and then you know no one no one will fancy playing them on under day. No, yeah, it's interesting that he's limited himself so quickly because, as you say, he's got a thirty one, and even this weekend, Jack Singleton, the hooker, is covering the back row because Mark Wilson's injured. So already he's probably learning a bit about his squad, how he can take on those challenges. I guess when they're over in Japan, do you think Wales will be overly perturbed by the defeat? No, I think it's actually no harm for for Wales to to lose a game, kind of in a away fixture like that Gats would probably be more disappointed about the fact that they looked um, they didn't look ready for the physicality which is never something that you really say about his team they've obviously had a big pre-season but maybe just starting rugby a little bit later than England did um, but they'll be looking for a, a kind of trademark performance um, over the next two or three weeks just to get him back on track and I think it'll be I think it'll be Ireland in in, uh, in Cardiff I think you know Gats is saying him and Joe are having chats around um, around the makeup of the team or potentially that those fixtures like a deal scenario is you know Ireland have one big performance before they go Wales have one big performance mm. and you know you'd more than likely like that to be at home you know, so maybe we'll see what the teams are picked for that game. But I think Wales are still very, uh, very, very strong. It's just I think, and also the, the shock they got from being dominated physically. You know, I think we'll we'll get them back on track. And you know, we we know after two thousand eighteen how how difficult it is to deal with that consistent winning. Uh, so you know, to lose a game in a, in a warm up is no harm. Mm, there's no real winning streaks out there anymore. No. It was a bad weekend, obviously, for the outhouse. We mentioned Carberry. Um, who looked so good and now faces up to six weeks out, which is really badly timed because even if he gets back, he hasn't had that that run into it. But Gareth Anscombe, completely gone. His ACL went when he made that big line break, just showing his class. Uh, So that's a real big loss for them. Uh, Dan Bigger obviously played a massive role in their Grand Slam, but I just feel that Anscombe, with his little bit of creativity and traffic um, and playing those forwards either side of him, he'll be really badly missed. And the most like for like for him, replacement for him is Jared Evans, who mm-hmm. hasn't got a huge amount of experience. So I think if Warren goes back to uh, to, uh, to bigger, it changes. Their attack wasn't always brilliant, but they they were trying to evolve that attacking game, um, and Anscombe was part of that. Uh, and I think it was a nice balance having bigger on the bench to come in and close out games. So I think it'll be interesting now. Does he promote Evans, make him his number one, and keep it bigger as your kind of experienced game manager to come on and close out games? Yeah, just to touch upon the uh, Southern Hemisphere then, while we're on the topic of other teams, South Africa winning their first rugby championship in its current form with a convincing battering of Argentina. Uh, They looked seriously good. We touched upon how good they are last week, to be fair. Um, And the All Blacks taking a bit of a thumping. Obviously, there was uh, some controversy surrounding the red card for Scott Barrett. What did you make of... uh, Australia's victory actually to start with them because in fairness uh, when a a friend of mine was listening to the podcast last week he pointed out we didn't even mention Australia and now suddenly they look (laughs) pretty decent as well to be fair they hadn't really shown enough to warrant being considered as contenders in the last certainly the last couple of weeks and even beyond that I would say it felt like they were in a really bad place but all of a sudden they've come to play their most uh, physical performance I would say for a, a year at least um, Nick White was really clever around the, the rock, and again he's added a lot we talk about South Africa bringing back back in those overseas players and he's returned to the fold um, and already looks like a really good option and pushing Will Genia in that role as well James O'Connor hadn't been in Test Rugby since 2013 and he looked 
like we always thought he was to the manner born kind of um, creating that beautiful try for Reese Hodge and looking very calm looking like he belonged in that arena and bringing probably a, a personality that thrives in, in that in that kind of test level uh, Curtly Beale and him linking up in, in little glimpses as well so suddenly it looks like they found this lovely combination in their back line and most importantly their forwards more than matched up um, I know they've lost Arnold but Adam Coleman came off the bench looked really aggressive as well uh, so they're in a good place. Alatoa at tight head prop was exceptional and, and brings a bit of ball playing as well. So, yeah, they're definitely back up there all of a sudden, I would say. I didn't feel they were going to turn around that quickly. The red card obviously was big, but it felt like to me that they were pushing in the direction of a win even before that. Yep. Your thoughts on that red card in uh, your insider newsletter to the 42 members this week. It's worth a read if you've got it dropped into your emails. Let's talk depth chart then lads uh, mm. you were you were off and running even before we were on air <laughs> and there was some controversial calls we'll just go through it I think position by position and then by the end of it we'll ask you to, to reel off your 31 man squads keep account of his 31 <laughs> you'll have 34 or 5 in there I have a few lads in New Zealand ready to fly in <laughs> project players yeah so we'll start with uh, Lisa Prop then Bernard Will you kick us off? Uh, Keen Healy, Dave Kilcoyne. Just to no, no Jack McGrath? No, uh, Jack was better at the weekend, um, but I just think Kilcoyne has got momentum on him. And I think, you know, uh, you look at England, you look at, you know, Australia and the power in South Africa, I think we need our most dynamic uh, ball-playing forwards in the in the squad. And I think we're only going to bring five props. Listen, ideal word, you bring three loose heads and Jack's in there. Um, he's a top player, but I think he misses out. Mm, I I agree with those two. Healy's been back to his best as we saw. He, he's just exceptional. Carries and scrummages really aggressively. Does all all of it. And then Kilcoyne, if you're going to have a bench option, wow, he's explosive. His ball carrying is possibly amongst the best in that squad. He just adds so much dynamism, so much aggression. Um, McGrath would probably feel he edges him in some of that set piece stuff um, and certainly around the ruck. And Joe Schmidt mentioned that after the Italy game, but I don't think he can leave out Kilcoyne's dynamism and that momentum he brings into the tournament so just to clarify before we go any further and I should have clarified before we started is this what you would personally do or is it what you see Joe doing this is what I would personally do Healy and, and Kilcoyne would do go. you see Joe doing the same thing oh, I don't know I think McGrath might just get in there on that experience um, and having played Lions tests and again scrummaging and rocking really well he might value those things what do you think Bernard I think he'll go with Kilcoyne I think he has to hmm. yeah. yeah you can't leave him out okay one position down, one disagreement with Joe already from Murray. <laughs> I know he's a keen, an avid yeah. listener of the podcast. He'll be fuming. Sorry, Joe. Uh, Hooker, Murray, start us off. Yeah, Rory Best, number one. I know people would even dispute that one, but for me, he's captain, he's leader, he's brilliant around scrum and, and rock again. Um, then Sean Cronin will be my personal number two. I think as your bench option, he has got so much over the other hookers in adding that impact, in adding incredible pace in adding something in the pitch that the opposition do not want to see we've mentioned before opposition players see him coming on they think oh Christ this guy's coming on hanging out in the wide channels um, and, and carrying really well and then I have Scannell as number three Rob Herring missing out yeah I would bring the same but I'm worried that Cronin won't go um, uh, and I think it'd be a big error I would pick best Cronin, uh, Scannell with Harry missing out but I've got a fear and hopefully it's a bad uh, it's an incorrect feeling that he'll go Rory Niall Scannell and Rob Herring mm. and Herring's done well for Ireland when he's yeah. played he has he he, throw, he throws well I think up in Ulster they rate him as a better thrower than, than Rory Best and he is dynamic enough but I, I totally agree with you um, that Cronin offers that bit more I do think Joe Schmidt can't overlook yeah tell me this Bernard if if you maintain that he can't overlook Kilcoyne and he won't overlook Kilcoyne, who brings something similar to Cronin. Uh, why do you feel Cronin's position is at risk? I mean, well, just based on on the evidence of what happened, Italy in the Six Nations and then being dropped for the next game, um, it just—I don't know. I, I, personal gotta, differences, you might say. Potentially, yeah. Potentially, maybe just uh, on, a, on a tour, on a, on a tour of this. Uh, listen, Cronin's going to get an opportunity. He's going to get some minutes, but I think he needs to really mm. have. Big, big impact and not the ball carries because we know he can do that in the line breaks it's literally a seppy stuff there's a uh, there's a worry about him in, in the squad around his scrummaging and his uh, throwing and you know he needs to make sure that the props want to want to 
basically vouch for him that they want to play with him uh, and that the line of callers have massive confidence in him that's going to be his work on the rest of the stuff is is a piece of cake for him so mm. um, that's that's the that's the question mark but I think it'd be a huge error when you look at the team we don't have as many game breakers as other countries uh, I think we obviously were very detailed and and, and work incredibly well as a team but I think Cronin has a lot to offer he could be a game breaker for us and it is a question of philosophy it's yeah. like that set piece of is massive and it depends on what you value more where you put more weight Joe Schmidt constantly mentions that set piece he's mentioned Cronin scrummaging even in press conferences before and those line out throws you, th- you think against Italy interestingly enough Scandal now Scandal's played more minutes than Sean Cronin in this World Cup cycle so that kind of shows us where maybe the pecking order in Schmidt's eyes is uh, as well. Cronin is third there, but Herring's not too far, about 150 minutes behind him. And Scandal, Scandal in fairness, got on early because Herring got injured and did really well. So he, you know, he did his place, uh, his chances no harm. But Cronin needs to maximise. He might only get 20 minutes over the next. You know, Roy mm. Best will need some game time, and you know, he, if he's going to be starter, which he will be, they need to prioritise him now over the you know over the next two games or, or whatever two of the next three games so it's going to be difficult for those fringe hookers tight head prop Bernard this is relatively Sorry, straightforward uh, no no mid-drink. relatively straightforward it's um, Tig Porter and uh, John Ryan hmm. yeah I mean they've whittled it down already Bealham probably unlucky to miss out because he's actually played loose head for Ireland in this cycle and been on the bench as a loose head a couple of times they didn't actually use him in um, 2016 he played loose head but I think that's pretty straightforward and it's probably the question of whether Porter or Ryan who's head in that kind of pecking order. Personally, I love Porter just for that dynamism. But John Ryan, like it's really neck and neck. Ryan's a really good technician and probably an underrated defender, I think. He really gets big impact on his tackles um, and you see him in malls and, and things like that standing out. So that's a nice battle there for the, the second kind of slot behind Tyke Furlong. Would you go Porter in that number two slot as well, Bernard, or would you go John Ryan? I thought Ryan did better when the opportunity he had on on, uh, on Saturday but it's too small a, a sample size I'm looking forward to seeing both them get opportunities over the next few weeks and up against you know better scrummagers uh, than than they were last weekend but it's a big ask like ideally they never have to go across there you know but you just have a security blanket um, for a tournament like that so you know, with the distance they would have to fly someone out from um, I, I thought Ryan is probably a little bit more suited to it and, and, and than, than Porter at the moment Interesting uh, so at lock number four, I mean, we'll go through locks just generally speaking. Here we go. This is where it gets really tough now. Yeah. Um, James Ryan has to go. Ian Henderson for me has to go. I think Devin Toner, um, based on that line out prowess. Um, and personally, I'd pick Tyg Byrne as my fourth lock. Um, I do think, and maybe you're on the same mind, Bernard, that Sean Klein will be picked as the fourth lock um, with those other three guys. But I'd have Byrne, Ryan, Henderson and Toner. Okay. I'd have the same, but I don't think I think the climb will go, which makes me put Tig Tig in my back row, and yeah. that's where it gets very difficult for Reese Rullock and Jack Conan if I do that. Okay, well, well, considering you have the same locks, we can move on to back row because there are some overlaps here, particularly no, we Burn. Don't. Yeah, we have the same locks that we'd like. Sorry, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have to, you do have to have balance in those locks as well. Like if you're considering leaving out Burn, who's not a tight head scrummager, say, um, Klein gets in because of that potentially, but. Like Toner did that job for three years until James Ryan was ready to, pretty soon after he made his debut, ready to take over as the tight head lock. And now he's really excelling in that position as well. So I think Toner can switch over. Uh, potentially you, you lose a bit of scrummaging power there. And Klein certainly, by all accounts, props would tell you that he gives you that uh, from behind. But I think Toner can do that job and Ryan's elite at it. So for me, that's why I'd, I'd go with Burn. Okay. Mm. So what are you doing in the back row then, Murray? You have a spare slot, say, if you've got Burn as a lock yeah. compared to what Bernard might have. Sorry, you didn't have the same locks, did you? you have well, Bernard, I, I thought, jo- well, we both said we preferred to have Tyke, uh, Burn, James Ryan, Ian ah, Henderson, Dev Toner, but I, I put in John Klein because yeah. I think he's going to go. I get you. Yeah. Okay. yeah. You see, I'd probably bring Tyke Burn to to kind of move between the second row and six and then I lose out on bringing three scrum halves so I'm moving down the list pretty quickly here but um, to go in the back row would be O'Mahony Stander Van der Fleer uh, Jack Conan Geordie Murphy and then Byrne would flit in between the, the row and, and the back row and I'd lose one of the nines Interesting So you go three specialist nine, uh, locks or four specialist locks but P- Tyg yeah. covers back row as well Yeah Okay Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah I think he'll go um yeah, I I think that if he 
brings Ty Byrne I think Ty Byrne's going to lo- potentially lose out to be mm. honest uh, I would bring him but I think he's going to maybe lose out and then that if he loses out then your back rows O'Mahony um, Conan Standard Jordy Murphy and Josh Van Flyer mm. like even when you're trying to pick six because Standard probably is the second choice six behind O'Mahony having do- again done that yeah. position all the way through until Jamie Heaslip was gone and he could slot into number eight O'Mahony came back from injury um, so he covers there and then Jordy is so versatile like he has played all three back row positions relatively recently and done well in all of them it, I thought he didn't have his best game against Italy but invariably delivers for Joe Schmidt when he's backed and he's he's such a versatile player to have in there Tommy O'Donnell I thought was actually one of the better players against Italy as well and has a real energy about him and a real hunger about him to, to be back involved having had such injury travails but yeah if you're picking what is a very competitive um competitive part of the pitch he may just miss out and Reese Ruddock as well who's really built for those physical teams the top uh, top end physical teams like South Africa for example or France um, it'd be hard to leave him out considering his leadership as well but that's the nature of it So if you bring Conan Byrne misses out for you if you were to bring Byrne do you, who do you see missing out in I the s- back row? I see Conan missing out but I don't uh, I think Byrne would miss out ahead of Conan Mm. Yeah, in Joe's eyes. In Joe's eyes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. I still have the impression that Joe Schmidt is not fully convinced about Ty Byrne. Probably more so convinced about him as a six because he's won one, one, three of his caps there already. Yeah. Like coming off the bench, being an impact player. But he got that chance against Wales in the second row. It probably didn't go his way, and it was a bad day for Ireland in general. But he got one turnover, I think, and that was his big moment. But those physical exchanges as a lock, maybe those aren't his real strengths you know he's more mobile more agile uh, has a lovely set of hands and, and can jackal obviously better than pretty much anyone in the Northern Hemisphere and that's just such a massive skill set to to leave out um, especially in a team where they're so selective when they chase those rocks they, they're all on their feet now Andy Farrell wants them bringing that line speed but if you have someone who's so accurate like Ty Byrne he can utterly change a game and to have that off the bench even would be massive in my eyes Yeah there are obviously sort of branches to it but if the call was yours Bernard and it was a call between bringing Byrne or bringing Conan what are you doing? It's a tough call. Yeah I think I think your options like uh, I think at eight while Jordy can cover all uh, all three I think Conan's a viable threat to CJ for me I mean he could be a starter and a game and a game changer so I'd be very hard to leave Conan out I think if you look at what, where's Joe and, and the coach's heads at? If you look at, the, go back to the Six Nations and why, why we struggled to a certain extent. We, like we couldn't get quick ball. We couldn't. Um, we weren't dominating collisions. Uh, our scrum started to creak a little bit compared to where it was in 2018. It used to be the highest percentage rate to play off, and our line-out attacking mall um, had no real venom to it. John Klein just kind of suddenly then goes up in value you know what I mean because obviously he's not the big ball carrier that, um, that may, I don't know what was expected of him Saturday I thought he did really well he did exactly what he does incredibly well and you know what, what the value he brings in is gives your scrum uh, ballast he's good in the, in the set piece mall uh, situation defensive and attack and he makes your rook ball quicker because of his clear outs and, and gives you more depth than your rooks so attacking rooks so he makes the defensive line have to go back a little bit further so that's because like if Ireland had continued being dominant in, in those areas into, into the Six Nations I don't think John Klein's case is as strong but I think mm. that's why he started that game That's he ended up playing 80 he only went off for a little while of a blood injury but that's why the coaches are pushing his case so he's going like if we're honest John well, Klein is going well, the, 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 if you read the signs <laughs> like the tea leaves say he's going yeah. he is I, it, it's, there's a push there's a PR drive behind him yeah Joe Schmidt's answer about his individual performance was pretty effusive and at times he doesn't do that or you know certainly his his feelings about a player he'll hold back but he, he, he strongly stated the case there even if it was only 10 sentences you, you know when he really likes a player and the Quinroo's been in a lot of squads and he's had that bulky powerful lock he's always like that in his squads even before Ireland so it wouldn't be surprising in, in the slightest if Jean Klein makes it Okay uh, do you want to go from 15 down to 9 or do you want to continue into scrum half obviously your forward selections have connotations in who you're picking at half back so maybe start with scrum half that makes yeah, more sense Yeah at scrum half I went for Conor Murray and Kieran Marmion two nines with Joey Carberry 
being the Ian Madigan of this World Cup and potentially providing a bit of cover there. He was a nine when he was considerably younger, all right. Um, but even still, I, I, you know, Munster last season, you saw him a couple of times passing off the deck. And I know that's, as you say, a small sample base, but I think he could do the job. I think he'd be calm enough to potentially slot in there. Also bring a third nine, there's going to be instances in training where one of them is just standing around. And I feel like it's one of those positions where you could maybe get by. And even if you had to fly them in late, um, for a game the day before a game I know it's a, a long journey but Conor Murray tends to play most of the matches the big matches and I think you could take the risk there that's certainly what I would do Eddie Jones has done it with England and Joe Schmidt did it last time as well Yeah Peter Romani played 10 when he was 13 or 14 <laughs> yeah. could he maybe I asked, I asked him would he play 10 again actually the other day and he said definitely not So <laughs> <laughs> That was the longest answer of the interview so. <laughs> Bernard what would you do at a night? Well I, I'm I'm already um, out, of the, out of the reckoning for any uh, competition wins I as of last weekend I thought they might go uh, Conor Murray Kieran Marmion and Cooney as the third nine but they only go with two tens okay. uh, but obviously that's not going to happen now so um, I would have thought Cooney could have done what Joey Carberry potentially will do at nine basically cover ten and be a goal kicker and um, I just don't see Jack Carty playing a lot in the World Cup if he goes so that's what that's what I was going to do but that's not going to happen now so I think now he's going to go two nines uh, which would be Murray and, and Marmion and I think he's going to have to go three tens Sexton, Carberry and, and, and Carty particularly because of Carberry's injury um, that's my take on it what, what do you think? Yeah I wonder if that has changed drastically in the last couple of days like the, the fact that he does need to cover for Carberry being injured potentially for the first game or or just coming back. You definitely have cardio ahead of burn. You're pretty no, definitive in that. Definitive uh, in that. No, I'm not. But I think you know. Obviously, you could say that Jack Carty was getting experience. Jack Carty's improved an unbelievable amount as well. But um, I would go with Ross Byrne ahead of Jack Carty to be perfectly honest. But uh, I don't think he will. Why? Why would you go with Ross Byrne ahead of Jack Carty? Um, because he's our ne- he's the most like for like Jonathan Sexton. And I think if you need someone to go on and kick kick a, a penalty in the last minute to get you into a, a semi final, or need someone to go on from ten minutes and manage the game, like let's look at the, look at the the way Ireland play. It's incredibly structured, you know. So the ten needs to be able to manage a game very well, and uh, and that's a start. They're starting ten. So when you have Johnny Sexton, you know that will happen for eighty minutes. But if you need to change the game up, you got Joey Carberry. But if Johnny Sexton got injured and you've got um, Joey and Jack Carty. I'm not sure you have the the quarterback to to implement our game plan as well. Uh, oh, you don't have it as well, but it's a bigger drop. You know, you're more, talking more individual brilliance than actually making the whole team move up the field from your own goal line to the or to the opposition goal line. And do you mm. think that Schmidt will select Burn over no. Carty? No? no, no, no. I think it's Carty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Cardi's nudged ahead in that Six Nations. Mm. Boyle Kent did really well behind the scenes in training and, and got those opportunities and took them pretty well, I thought, and added something probably in those games where Ireland were lacking that ability to look in behind for that space when Wales, for example, were suffocating them in that game and then he comes on and, and does that little grubber. Potentially easier when the game is not quite in the balance and you've got that bit of freedom as well, but uh, I feel he's done well in those opportunities. And for me, from my personal point of view that he adds that something different is is a positive for Ireland that's like I, I would agree that Joe Schmidt probably sees it as Byrne coming in and managing as well but I feel he's won that trust to, to a degree as well and I think he's definitely third in that depth chart now Okay so that's halfbacks covered we go out to um, the centres midfield uh, what are you thinking Murray start with yourself Yeah so we're left with four and um if I was picking it would be an unbelievably tif- difficult call but I think Chris Farrell will be missing out um, oh Henshaw, God. Aki and Ringrose in as three centres like Farrell has shown he can cover both roles he's shown that um, he can come into the team when there's been injury disruption and, and perform particularly well I thought he was excellent with that lovely pass to Joey Carberry the, uh, against Italy and He's added that side of his game in more as he's grown at test level and you can see him communicating a little bit more and, and stepping in at first receiver. His uh, improvement as a as a test rugby player has been really impressive but if you're coming to the point where you're really pressed for spaces I think you need to to keep those five back three players so I'd, I'd bring those um, three centres and then you've got a bit of cover for, for 13 in, in the back three as we'll probably discuss. Um, Aki, Ringrose and Henshaw I think they all have to be in the squad. They've been really important for Ireland at different stages and even in different positions. Henshaw has played 13 quite a bit, actually, um, and Ringrose has played 12 for Ireland. Uh, Aki 
mainly or, or largely actually I think all his games have been at 12 but he's been so dependable and so durable as well for Ireland so those three guys got to go for me and it'll be tough on Chris Farrell but that's the way I go Bert yeah I'm the same um, the argument potentially if you're going to fit Chris in uh, you'd have to basically sacrifice Andrew Conway who's in my back three position yeah. for Addison so I think purely in terms of trying to give yourself more versatility more cover I'd go with Henshaw Aki Ringrose and Addison yeah. Addison being the utility but he's yeah. in as a centre yeah okay mm. and then okay. you'd pick four other back three players yes yeah yeah that's nearly the way I would lean as well but I'd actually yeah I'd go Conway in the back three um, and I'd have Larmer as that emergency option at 13 he did it against England that Grand Slam game I know he hasn't played a whole lot of rugby there but I'd have him pushing up from the back three potentially in, in an emergency he's actually so vers- like he's played 11, 14, 13, 15 for Ireland what a brilliant player to have in your squad and he seems to just embrace those challenges um, so I think you could trust him at 13 in potentially one of those the, the latter two pool games as well yeah we've probably deviated slightly from it being a depth chart and we're starting to name squads right so just to <laughs> yeah. get it in writing so to speak uh I mean the centre combination kind of looks after itself doesn't it even though Aki has been trusted and has done extremely extremely well all going to plan and everybody fit it's Henshaw and Ringrose I, I would pick that um, but I think Aki has done everything in his power to really challenge that perception and against a really top uh, top level physical team again I go back to the box say Aki is such a weapon in those circumstances. I pick ring. I pick Henshaw and Ringrose, uh, twelve and thirteen. Certainly, w- what way would you be leaning? Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think Henshaw and, and Ringrose. I think Henshaw's kicking game and just game awareness is a little bit better. Mm. Um, but Bundy has done very well. In fairness. Yeah, actually, like even though in, in my squad I've, I've left him out, my second choice thirteen would be Farrell over Henshaw slotting out to that thirteen role. I think Farrell's really. Uh, developed even the defensive side of his game and Henshaw at times moving out to 13 hasn't looked quite as comfortable as he is in, at 12 where he's that defensive leader he has players either side of him and, and can really be a, be that voice so Farrow would actually be my second in that 13 depth chart uh, just ahead of Henshaw um, and then I'd probably have Larmer in there behind as well Like the, the depth charts look really good it's just a pity you can't bring 40 players <laughs> <laughs> So who starts then in your back three Bernard? Um, my back three is Stockdale, Kearney and Earls yeah, exactly the same. Um, I think that's pretty well established after the Six Nations. Stockdale uh, will really relish this World Cup and, and having opportunities at the uh, uh, out in Japan. Earls has been so reliable and seems to have gotten better every year. He can also play actually both wings. He, he played a lot at 11, kind of first half of this World Cup cycle. Then Stockdale emerged and he slotted over to the right absolutely seamlessly. Um, and again, he can cover in emergencies. I, I know some people don't like talking about him as a 13, but he can cover there. He's done that for Ireland. He's actually played 12 a couple of seasons ago, later, late on. I can't remember which match it was, but he slotted in there, maybe against Japan on that tour. Um, and Carney is, he's still, he's, he persists as the first choice fullback, despite everyone uh, lamenting his, his presence at times. And he's so dependable. Um, he athletically I thought had one of his best seasons last season he looked um, sharper and, and faster than ever um, what's interesting to me is who's the backup fullback in your yeah. eyes Bernard that's a tough I, one I, I think it could be Addison mm. head of Larmer I just don't know I think Larmer's great to go in fullback you know near late in the game but I just play, say you play the box and in a quarter final um, like what's and Larmer's playing 50, starting 15 Razzie will really go after him there. Yeah. Whereas um, I know Addison hasn't played a huge amount, but I, I think he could be the second. The, the, if, if something happened to Rob Carney to start, I think he'll get some some real game time over the next few weeks as a fifteen as well. Yeah, because you know he's not going to start as a centre unless there's injuries. Yeah. You know, and yeah. got more cover there. You could play Robbie and Bundy together if Gary was out. Um, but if that happened to Rob, I think we look a lot weaker. Yeah, absolutely. It would have been interesting to see Carberry potentially moved to 15 in these warm-up friendlies. He has played there, obviously, for Ireland. And I, I would just be interested to see how him and Sexton work together as that combination. A lot of teams are doing it now, obviously, bringing that 15 in as the, as the playmaker. I'd love to see him there distributing and um, in kind of... You see Bowden Barrett now doing it from 15, inserting himself into the line on counter-attack and, and seeing those opportunities from behind. That would have been really interesting. The other regret for, for Ireland, from my point of view, would be that Stockdale hasn't played more games there. We saw it at the end of last season. 
and he played there under twenties. A guy who could have happily embraced that role, but probably a bit a little bit late now. Um, look, th- those elements of versatility will definitely be tested like even Kieran Marmion you think of that Australia game where he played a half on the wing he's actually done that I think four times for Ireland now played on the wing so that could come in useful as well if they're down a few bodies have, so oh sorry Bernard have you got Conway in your squad yeah, yeah. ahead of Addison yes yeah okay. that's, a, that's a tough one I think Conway he's been unlucky you remember that Australia test where he scored the try and his hit pointer got done in the same incident um, but I think when he's been fit and and able to complete the matches he's been really solid I love his aerial game I think his attitude is just really infectiously um, aggressive even out on the wing I really like him as a player Addison probably hasn't played enough rugby recently although that versatility is really really useful So give me your depth chart at 15 Murray and also take into consideration the fact that Joey Carberry may be fit at some point because I know you are a fan of You've certainly flirted with the idea of seeing uh, Carberry at 15. <laughs> yeah, what I wrote down was Carney, Carberry as the second choice fullback, um, just to change the picture for, for defences, um, especially those really aggressive line speeds. Then I would, I'd probably stick with Larmer as that third choice um, and Addison after that. Conway obviously can play there as well, which he hasn't done for Ireland. I can't think of the last time he did. And, and certainly Munster seemed hesitant enough to use him there as well. So there must be something behind that. Um, I liked when he moved there in that Edinburgh quarterfinal I thought the Munster back three looked really good and I think he'd slot in there happily enough so plenty of options in that squad that, that I've picked there And your uh, list of 15s Bernard uh, Rob Carney Addison second? Potentially I'll have a look at him over the next few weeks mm. to start but obviously I think next you know, if you're looking to change the game up you've got to give Larmer a chance I just don't think he looks unbelievably uh, really comfortable under the high ball at the moment and uh, defensively as well the Irish the way the Ireland defend the full back is you just need a really good communicator someone who who spends a lot of time scanning he sees the threat before it happens uh, and I don't know if that's not Jordan's natural strength um, his natural strength is, is getting the ball and, and beating people and um, it's a bit we saw what happened in against England it's a highly pressurised position to play full back for Ireland the way we're set up so I think potentially someone who's got that versatility that Addison has and haven't played all positions potentially understands how it all connects a little bit better. Mm. He's a very mature player yeah, as well. Like exactly. People kind of see him as this new cap. Obviously, he is a new, relatively new cap, but he's very experienced. Played yeah. a lot of Premiership rugby. Was club captain in Sale Sharks. Right. So, geez, I think you might be right, Bernard. <laughs> okay, so reel them all for me. Your your full squads. We'll start with yourself, Murray. In any which way you yeah. wish to read it off. I went Healy, Kilcoyne, Furlong, Porter, Ryan. The locks were, or sorry, hookers were Bess, Cronin, Scannell, then Ryan, Henderson, Toner, Byrne, um, and Klein. I picked the five locks, yeah, and then I had the five back rows was Omani, Stander, Vanderfleer, Conan, and Geordie Murphy. Then Murray, Marmion, Sexton, Carberry, Carty, and then it was the three ring rows, Aki and Henshaw in the centres, and then Stockdale, Earls, Carney, Larmer, and Andrew Conway. Yes, yeah, so you went for 18-13 split. 18-13 split. Yeah, see, yeah. I went 17-14. That's why I was able to have Conway and Addison in there. Um, yeah. But I I have a lot, I have a, I have one back row less or no John Klein and Ty Furlong or Ty Byrne covering both. Yeah, I just feel it'll be attritional as well the way Ireland are probably going to play and even that Samoa match will be t- bloody tough and then if you play the box as well you need a lot of forwards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's every chance that a few of the uh, names to be left out will feature anyway. So Yeah, and Brit- some really good players being left out. It's going to be so mm, tough. Yeah. It's a we great position for Ireland. Uh, Luke McGrath didn't get a mention there. Yeah, and and I think or John Cooney, or he's not yeah. even in the squad yeah. anymore. Who's very unlucky to miss out, and a lot of people would have had him in their their final World Cup squads because he has that goal kicking, he has that ability to. You mentioned before we came on, Bernard, to to slot out to ten and could have covered that, and he felt like he had a bit of momentum into it. Um, has added a lot to his game, even that little bit of a sniping threat you saw with Ulster against Leinster in that quarter final. So he's very unlucky to miss out. Lou McGrath has obviously been involved in some massive days with Leinster. And has probably ironed out the, the kicking element of his game that needed a bit of work. Um, passing off his left, still a tiny bit inconsistent. I'd say that infuriates Joe Smith, who's so detailed on that, that side of the game. But his support lines off the ball are, are probably the best in the squad. He's really good at getting upfield and having a sense of when there's going to be a line break. Because that's a really difficult thing to do. Um, so yeah, there's look, there's real good depth in pretty much every position. And it's a really good... Um, state to be in particularly with injuries having struck down the likes of Levy and, and O'Brien so they're in good shape Yeah a lot of questions here on Instagram as well hopefully most of them have been answered but just to 
list a couple of those. Shawnee Mason was asking, is Joe likely to select three out halves for the Rugby World Cup now that Cooney has been dropped? Uh, here is one from Conlith13. Uh, what positions can Joe afford to be lighter on and take a risk? Uh, another one here from Liam O'Dowd19. This isn't rugby, but the David Goff appointment is a disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> We'll start, we'll start a GA podcast soon. W- one thing actually is there, like not bringing six front rows. I know I know everyone brings f- five front rows, but you can't like scrummage live. I guess they don't do a lot of live scrummaging at a World Cup. Is that the, the thinking there, Bernard? Yeah, that's that's the the thought process. But it mm. is light. I mean, I think if uh, I think the, uh, you saw Joe talk about it a little bit last week. If they were to expand it to thirty two and said you had to bring six props uh, six props I think that would be a positive I, I just don't see you know um, why as a, as a professional sport and safety is so paramount that we're talking uh, or sorry obviously the coaches are exploiting this 31 by, by going with someone who can cover both sides but yeah. yes for for uh, 90% of the, of the World Cup cycle they don't ask them to do that I just think that's you know that's not smart um, and like for Porter and, and, and John Ryan for sure they've played there before for sure Greg Feek is a, is a technician but in Namibia or a, you know a, a smaller country who potentially don't have the support around that prop who has to come in and play against a giant mm. um, in a position that he's not comfortable in I don't think is a, is a very smart uh, thing to do so I would say expanded to 32 but you have to have six six props, three specialist loose heads, three specialist tight heads, gives everybody a lot more cover. Yeah. And from a player safety point of view, um, and it's it's a much smarter policy, I think. Yeah, I think a lot of the coaches think it's because world where we don't want to pay for twenty extra players because they cover those costs. But definitely, totally agree with you, and I think we'll we'll see that at the next World Cup. One last question, or two last questions. One of them you've already sort of answered from Sean O'Queen. He was wondering who will play number eight. At the World Cup, you think Standard will start, and you think it's kind of up in the air between Conan and Standard, uh, depending no, on whether Conan if, goes. If Standard hits form, he'll start. Um, okay. Just Conan, definitely, you would imagine, is putting serious pressure on. Yeah, I'd love to see him get that England yeah. game with a full strength team around him and a big uh, opportunity with Joe Smith saying, "This is your chance. Take it. Bring that form from last season into it. And if he grabs it, then then go with it and, and let that momentum roll into it. Put Standard under pressure to also deliver in that sense." Okay, and uh, the final question, Loftus, Kev, thanks everybody for your questions. And Kev asks, is there a possibility of somebody getting a call-up for Japan who hasn't been involved in warm-up camp? Ooh, I must look back at other World Cups see if that happened, but I would guess with that squad size being that large that you would be okay. Uh, potentially maybe one of the loose head props because you only had three there initially, but then one of the t- tight heads could go over. Mm. over. So yeah, it would be interesting to see beyond that, but I'd say there's enough depth in that initial squad and even the guys that have gone home already that there's guys who are tuned in and know the, the game plan etc for the World Cup so they should be okay yeah barring kind of some freak sequence of yeah. injuries it's unlikely isn't it? we have to be very unlucky t- to go down past what was in all summer to be honest yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> we've been unlucky with us in the past yeah Murray you sat down with Peter Romani uh, the fourth choice out half in your depth chart <laughs> Yeah, we didn't talk out half play. Um, he was announced as Marks and Spencer's first Irish sports ambassador. So um, very exciting day for him. But we just chatted a bit about the line out and the breakdown. Um, yeah, and some good stuff from Peter. Yeah, you kind of mentioned obviously the importance of the, the set piece earlier on. Line out, obviously, one of your, your key strengths. Was that always the case? Did you always have a bit of growth for that area of the game? I've always actually enjoyed the training part with the, the jumping and the... Uh, the the technical aspects of it um, I, I've always enjoyed that part of it and look forward to that segment in training um, and the competitive side with you know competing against each other in training and and that kind of thing and then you know the guys I've worked with obviously guys like Paulie and Dunners and Danica Ryan um, guys like Dave Hindi James Ryan nowadays um, mm. Mikko I've worked with some world class operators and uh it's always been a kind of a, a strength of of the province's game and 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 Ireland's game, and uh, you know I've loved the kind of so I said the competitive nature to it and um, the technical side of it. What do you pick up from different guys? What do you learn from them? Um, learned a lot from Paulie and 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 Mikko certainly when I was younger. Um, even guys like Quinny, Quinny was very able uh, liner operator as well, Axel. 
Um, you, you pick up the small stuff, you know what I mean? Stuff that they wouldn't even notice themselves, but the way they use their feet, um, the way they sell dummies, um, you know, stuff that they probably do naturally, that uh, that probably didn't come naturally to me at times. Um, you know, you pick up small bits off, you know, arguably some of the best liner operators ever. Um, so I was lucky in, in a lot of uh, respects. One of the things I sensed came naturally to you was like being explosive, the counter movement jump. Was that always the case or did you particularly work on that physical skill? Yeah, I, I think obviously it comes naturally to me a little bit. Um, but we had, uh, as you know, Paddy Roach did an incredible amount of power work with us in the academy, as you know as well. Um, so we did a huge amount of squat, obviously, but uh, power clean and clean jerk, uh, snatch, um, and all that kind of power stuff. Because Paddy was a, a power lifter himself. He's he's not he's in Arsenal at the moment. By all accounts, going incredibly well. Um, but he was kind of ahead of the times at that. And in the S and C stuff, you kind of come in and out of stuff, and it's going back to the way that kind of thinking now the power stuff and uh, again I love the competitive edge to it you know we used to have 10 or 12 of us more in the gym and guys jumping and the scores being called out and everyone could hear them and um, I, I enjoyed that that segment of training um, it helped that I was reasonably good at it as well so at least you weren't down the bottom hoping your your score wouldn't be called out <laughs> where I was <laughs> every single time what about like obviously big ACL injury was that a tricky part of it, coming back to get that that jump out of it yeah it was probably the last bit to you know the force you come down on a lot of the time when you can be dropped or whatever um, it's hard to kind of practice that um, and it's the last bit that comes back um so it was a bit difficult, but you know you had a lot of time to be to be working on it. it was, I was nearly twelve months in total by the end of it, and um, had done a, a lot of uh, I suppose single leg hopping and single leg bound and that kind of stuff just to get it back because it just takes so long. Um, I had a couple of setbacks, obviously, but um, you know I was probably afterwards probably better for it. Um, certainly strength wise. Um, you know, after probably the strongest I've been in a long time. Mm, definitely. Just in terms of the defensive line out, like I know Devin likes calling to you because you're pretty easy to throw up and, and, and a good guaranteed source of Ireland's ball. Defensively, how do you measure a successful outing? Is it just that big steal or, or is there more to it than that? Oh, it's, it's, it's not just about the, the one-offs. I think, you know, you come up against a mauling team, you know, you're looking at how to negate them all um, you know when it comes to defending your line you know it's never good enough or acceptable to to be conceding scores um, you know I've been lucky enough to go again the guys who the guys like Dave Pauly Billy Holland doesn't it yeah incredible amount of of video analysis um, you know I, <coughs> I, I struggle a little bit more in that area, but to be fair to them, they give me a lot of uh, a lot of the shortened versions and and um, and uh, you know between us we, we we get there and 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 come up with a you know a strategy to try and try and compete against um, you know different types of lineouts. Um, so it's it's always a different challenge, you know, uh, particularly you know Six Nations to. To European rugby, you know, French teams to English teams to Italian sides, they're, they're all so different and um, pose their own different challenges. And you know, it's a new, a new, uh, a new strategy every week, which again is, is really enjoyable. Yeah, you've mentioned before about uh, restart being a key set piece as well, which probably those of us in the outside don't really consider. Would that be a big part of your review process? We always look at line percentages, scrums, on, but restart is massive as well. Yeah, I think so. I think um, certainly when the All Blacks, uh, you know, started it a good few years ago, you know, the, the amount of source and position they used to get back from restart um, was incredible. And it took a lot of teams 
a long time to kind of cop on and, and understand you know all of a sudden you're they're on nearly into the 22 off off a kick you know off a restart and um you know they're, they're massive sources of possession these days it's hard enough to get your hands in the ball without uh without leaving a couple of these opportunities go so um you know it's it's a massive part of set piece nowadays and you know an area that's that's taken more and more time in training as a result yeah breakdown obviously a big part of your game as well attacking hitting a lot of rocks but defensively as well we've seen you jackal off and i don't know if you saw the stats from the times in the uk you've played 22 tests since 2016 24 turnovers 18 of which are jackals my interesting my interest is whether that's become harder for you do you feel that jackals are more targeted than ever before because even when you were younger you were winning turnovers as well still winning pl- plenty of them but a bit harder now yeah i think so um i think i think breakdowns are now very very good um you know i think i think teams understand that you know if it's an area of position that for one phase that you're off the ball you're going to be turned over there's, there's a high possibility you're going to be turned over so you know they have a huge heightened sense of you know i suppose urgency to get there and you know the players that you're talking about the size of them the power um you know it's 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 a it's a seriously competitive area and um i think they're getting fewer and fewer and fewer and look uh, i think a lot of the time it's 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 the tackler changing a picture for for someone who's poaching yeah um you know really changing the dynamic of a of a carry um, changing its point of axis uh, rather than the old days where you could tackle up poach I think those are very few and far between I think it's it's really down to working in groups and and for that tackler to to be changing the, the point of landing from the from the tackle player gives you an opportunity then yeah and what about working with Andy Farrell who obviously wants a lot of line speed wants players on his feet does that place an even greater emphasis on your the decision making because certainly my impression would be that Ireland now I think the stats do back it up probably win less jackals but maybe you're more accurate when you do go for it yeah I think I think a lot of defences have to be that way now um, you know if you play with three or four guys stuck in a breakdown um, you know you're playing two wings and halves and a full back that doesn't leave you many pairs left in your in your in your front line so you know you've you've got to have efficiency around your breakdown and um you know that's an area you know again against the best teams you're going to be punished if you're not efficient um you know you're chasing dead rocks it's it's a it's an area that you're certainly going to be cut out on yeah just just last one on the other side of the ball then again the impression of joe schmidt's ireland has always been that he's put a, a really big premium on blasting that ball i think it's pretty clear and getting clean ball to play with does that feed into his review process even with an individual or in a team setting is he picking out good examples of that and I guess the other other side of it as well yeah it is look again it's it's the uh, it's the most important part of rugby and it's the buck stops finishes and stops uh, starts and finishes with, with the breakdown and um, all the planning in the world you can do um, all the starter plays you know all the set piece stuff and and and, and, and you you don't get your uh, your breakdown accurate and you're just not going to compete with bigger teams you know it's it's uh, it's something that Joe you know came off the f- you know this was the first thing he addressed when he came in and you know it'll be the first thing he addresses in 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 most uh, team reviews is is our breakdown absolutely well here's open for clean ball in Japan all thanks the best Pete thanks for talking thanks man cheers. And now it's time. <laughs> and now it's time. I don't want any part of this. Yeah. To be honest. We told Bernard Jackson. <laughs> I'm trying to create a career as a serious <laughs> rugby analyst. <laughs> fair enough. We're trying, well, trying. Murray is all, yeah. <laughs> no, I feel yourself and Murray are, are both established rugby analysts. I'm more of a content creator, content producer, um, and a clickbait merchant. So we joked about it last week that we should power rank the national anthems for the rugby world, <laughs> world cup. Uh, it was then... Uh, suggested to us would actually be a little bit too light. It was demanded of us that we do indeed rank the anthems. Not yeah. all of them, right? We're not going to waste your time. Okay. Um, but well, this is because I said South Africa's was the best anthem. I think in the last episode that 
sparked off and I do I do stick with that it's an unbelievable anthem you stand by it okay incredible it makes me proud to be South African even though I'm not South African I just love that and <laughs> love actually that when, we, when we put that clip up it was yourself Bernard discussing Razzie's box and how they've uh, sort of resurrected themselves and it was a little you know it was a by the way mentioned by yourself for the anthem at the end but the YouTube video there were a, a fair few people agreeing with you from South Africa or following in South Africa yeah. uh, who are extremely proud of their anthem as well so you've got that number one I mean you've given the given up the goals there straight yeah, away I'm just going to go straight through with my top five number two I had France which I just love I lived there for a year as well and Bernard you know all about their passion for <laughs> singing that the Welsh national anthem again probably associate being in Cardiff um, it's just incredible uh, in the Millennium Stadium particularly when they have the roof closed interesting to see how it gets on over in Japan went for Argentina number four and I think I remember them all crying at the 2015 World Cup I think it was in Wembley where they there was so much passion behind it mm. and then number five I went for an absolute classic it's Italy uh, so I've actually kind of favoured all the tier one nations but yeah, there's a bit enough of a, choices there's a, yeah a nice kind of Latino flavour yeah. to, towards the end there I know you've put a lot of work into this so I've us, actually put a, know. I've put a shocking <laughs> amount of work into this in fact this, could be, the, this could be the end of this podcast <laughs> I, this could this could tank the entire thing Run I said it. last week that we'd save it for members only and uh, to be honest I've put so much work into it I'm glad we're not <laughs> I've put together a top ten put us, out of, put us out of our misery yeah let's take it home number ten Russia the Ooh. Yeah. wonderfully named state anthem of the Russian Federation and it's exactly what you'd expect as well this this anthem it's very Russian <laughs> uh, it's it's only at the fringes of 10 number 9 USA Star Spangled Banner ah, uh, come on I should have just done a top 5 yeah. like the lyrics of that song were more thin by the day at the moment uh, number 8 and it could have been higher Namibia Land of the yeah. Brave I actually said to you before I thought it was going to be terrible because uh, yeah, it was actually really good. Really it's, a, it's, it's a cracking little tune. It was written by a, a man called Exali Dolseb, who won a contest <laughs> when Namibia gained independence in 1990. Wow. Kind of like the Namibian Phil Coulter, but talented. Number seven, Italy. Uh, you mentioned them. Il Canto. Yeah. Uh, that was written by a 20-year-old student. Wow. And it was actually a poem. They call it uh, Mameli's Hymn. The writer was uh, Gioffredo Mameli. You know him well, Bernard. <laughs> Uh, you <laughs> know, there's, a, there's actually a la- there's a missing verse of the Italian anthem. So they found it like in his notes, I believe, and he had scribbled out a last verse, and it's a tribute to Italian women. Wow! Uh, yeah, you we've, really have done a lot of research. We've yeah. maidens, flags, and cockades make souls gallant. The invitation of love. Number six, Uruguay. Argentina didn't even make mine actually. Yeah, Uruguay is very good. Top ten. It's that was super my wild card. Hard. Yeah, Himno Nacional de Uruguay, or as it's known in Uruguay, uh, Orientales la Patria. La Tumba it's a yeah. real call to arms that one the ending is particularly it brilliant. is yeah it's raucous uh, the lyrics are written by Francisco Acuna de Figueroa who also wrote Paraguay's national anthem mm. he was a busy man I didn't know that was a trade yeah. and it's no wonder as well that, that, that Uruguay's ends so kind of aggressively like it is a call to arms and <laughs> I looked at Paraguay's national anthem and the chorus begins Paraguayans Republic or Death <laughs> <laughs> it's quite the ultimatum France uh, number 5 we know that one very well I've only got South Africa number 4 so I'm wow. already alienating our new South African listeners and I apologise to them in fairness with the South African anthem I think context is key there it obviously mm. is a, a crazily um, it has a rich history and it's a very unifying anthem and it's amazing for what it does I think in, the, yeah. in, in a match but bear in mind I was listening to sort of <laughs> orchestras playing these songs on YouTube you know okay. what I mean so it didn't quite look get up the, the rugby version so. yeah yeah I, sh- I should have I should have yeah. it's a rugby podcast and uh, number three uh, Fleur Nahalba Fleur Scotland oh yeah brilliant when they cut out the bagpipes in, in Edinburgh and just let, let it sing Unbelievable. it's brilliant it's only, it's only been a recent addition to Scottish sport like it it yeah. was the rugby anthem since I think 74 Billy Steele the winger got the players singing on the Lions tour and it was adopted then but for soccer I think it was 97 and it only came in for the Commonwealth Games in 2010 well they were missing out they were missing out big time yeah Bernard's looking at my notes here saying does he actually know this or did he just (laughs) Wikipedia them all the answer is of course the latter it's pretty impressive wildcard at number two Georgia yeah Tavis 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 I remember the 2007 match when they did that the second guy in the line winked at the camera and I was like, wow, this is going to be a hard day. The rest <laughs> of them were all smiling and I was just like, Christ, they're not a bit nervous about playing Ireland. Yeah, it was only written in 2004. Obviously, Georgia, a fairly new state, but it, it's got this sort of Star Wars-esque feeling at the very start of it and you kind of think, oh, I'm in for something here and it is rousing. Yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of the Georgian anthem. Uh, number one, lad of my father's first ever national anthem to be played before a sporting event. 1905, the All Blacks were coming over on their first ever tour 
the All Blacks were unbeaten, Wales beat them. And the All Blacks, even back then, were doing the Hacker. Mm. So the head of the WRU, whose name was... <laughs> Go back to the notes. <laughs> Tom Williams, as you, as you know well, uh, he told Teddy Morgan, the Wales player, to lead the crowd in Land of My Fathers. Hmm. And they did it as a response to the Hacker. So the first ever response to the Hacker, the first ever anthem to be played before a sporting event. So we can blame the Welsh. Because sometimes before the matches, you're just like, get on with it. After, I know you've just listed your top 10 favourite anthems, but sometimes you're like, get on with the rugby. So we'll blame the Welsh. We can blame the Welsh. Um, we can blame me, I suppose, for <laughs> the huge decrease in listeners for next week's podcast. <laughs> I Brandon, don't think have you, have we zero interest in I've, I've been living my life in a bubble that I haven't ranked the anthems, but uh, yeah. this, I, I think Wales is phenomenal and, and, <laughs> and France France are both excellent, but um, I think hopefully next week we'll just chat rugby. France, <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't be back. Yeah, I agree. It's <laughs> fair enough. Uh, Bernard, thanks a million for joining us for your last ever podcast. And Murray, <laughs> thanks as always to yourself as well. Cheers. And thanks to you at home. A reminder that this podcast was brought to you by Volkswagen, proud sponsors of Irish Rugby. We will be back next Thursday. And until then, please don't give up on us. Uh, and we'll catch you then. Good luck. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Rugby, rugby, weekly. Little reverse pass. Oh, 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 oh,